On this episode, I have a guest. (laughs) You ask questions, and I answer them. This is the Ask Gary V Show. This is Gary Vaynerchuk, and this is episode 72 of the Ask Gary V Show. Or should I say, the Ask Gary and Casey Show. That's right, for the first time ever, you know, 72 is such a symbolic number that I figured we would use that to break out the multiple person Ask Gary V Show. So, Case, thanks for being the first person Happy ever. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Ready for some questions. Why don't you tell the Vayner Nation uh, a little bit, you know, let's call it a 72 second version of, uh, of who you are for the few that don't know, and then we'll just get right into the uh, questions. Okay, who I am for those who don't know. Uh, I live in New York City, I work in New York City. This is one of my offices, one of my companies. Um, I'm mostly known as a filmmaker. I love making movies on the internet, but I also do a lot of advertising work for companies like J. Crew and Nike and Mercedes-Benz, and I also work with other companies like the New York Times, making films for them. Um, how was that? Was that good? I'm it's a father great. of two. Uh, I like to skateboard. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's... I mean, the bottom the line is, let, let's put it this way. D-Rock is so excited right now that I can barely deal with the tension in the room. Just try to hold the camera uh, still. <laughs> and so, you know, please go down the rabbit hole uh, that is Casey. He's an incredible storyteller. Uh, and for me, a lot of you know that I love talking about market in the year that you actually live in. This is a filmmaker, storyteller in the year that we actually live in. While a lot of his contemporaries and people of his talent have not recognized the world we actually live in, you've been one of the few that has, in my opinion, and for whatever that's worth. So uh, that's how I see it. I'll take it, Gary. Cool. Let's get into the show. Joe asks. What advice would you give a high school senior in America trying to decide whether to go to college, and if so, which one? John, I'm going to let Casey answer this first, just because I think it'd be fun to have you start off the show. Yeah, no, I've got a strong feeling about further education, which is that I think in life you should only be doing two things ever. And one is like discovering what your passion is, and then two is realizing it. So, Joe, if you know what you want to do, and you are convicted that's where you want to be in life, and that trajectory does not necessitate a college education, then skip it. Chances are you don't know what you want to do, otherwise you wouldn't be asking us this question. And if you don't know what you want to do, your responsibility is to figure that out. And college is one of the best places, one of the best atmospheres, environments you can be in to figure out what your calling is in life, to figure out what your passion is, what your purpose is. Joe, I'm gonna jump in here as the cars are racing outside and say this. I agree with a ton of what Casey said. I'll also add that if you're taking $200,000 in debt to find your passion, that might be a practical kind of, uh, by the way, debt that you can't even declare bankruptcy against, which complete, I mean, I can't even, I'm suffocated by the, the game, the AK racket that is student loans. Yeah. And today, in today's environment, things that you and I didn't have, there are other places where young people congregate and pound into each other in the serendipity of finding those mentors or contemporaries that allow people to discover. So look, I, th- I think one thing for sure, it's fun. Entrepreneur, I, I look at you as an entrepreneurial artist, I, uh, but I look at you way more artistic than I'm me. So call it 
entrepreneur, artist, boy, there's a lot of rationale in a 2015 world where college is not the right answer. And I think, you know what's really been unique to me, Joe, is I'm gonna give you a weird answer. I actually find that there's an enormous amount of kids, and I'm spending a lot of time on this topic since I was a shit student and have made something of myself, um, that a lot of kids are still just going to college, just making that decision on not wanting to disappoint their parents. And that to me is maybe the most fascinating thing going on is that father of a five and a two-year-old living on the Upper East Side with elite private schools where I'm paying college tuition for kindergarten already, it's been funny to me because I'm really poking and prodding the parents that are my new contemporaries to see how much pressure, and they have not switched yet. The reason I keep talking about college in a world where a lot of my friends talk about its demise as more of a 20-year thing than a 10-year thing is because I still think parents of my generation still value it too much for their own self-esteem. They want to say their kids went to Stanford and Harvard and things of that nature. So, look, you've got to make your own decision, but I'm with you you, like discovering it, and, and then I, I'd be curious, now I'm like mixing up the show. What do you think about this based on your answer? Because the, your answer is my answer and there's one, other, there's one other part that I'm trying to figure out. I'm a big fan of practicality. I think you and I got lucky that not only were, were we able to figure out our passion, but we actually had some level of talent within it. There's a lot of people, a la the people that go and try out for American Idol, or the wannabe NBA players. What's your point of view on Joe figuring out his passion is to paint, but he sucks shit at it? Well, you know, I I think that anyone's life, your world always shrinks and expands in proportion to your willingness to take risk or try new things. And that's why I think that like an academic environment is a great place for trying new things and experimenting with new things. So if your passion is painting, and you're a terrible painter, then maybe being in an environment like college will open your eyes to something like graphic design, which doesn't yep. involve a paintbrush. Yep. But you can make a great living at it, yep. and you're realizing an artistic passion that is certainly in line with painting. Yep. Um, do, you think, do you think that then one needs to be challenged to make sure they go into the funnel of college to recognize they're not there to check those boxes? Because the way you play the game actually has as much to do with the game, right? If, if you hack college in the way that you're talking about it, you know, now you're starting to think about you know, course selection, you're talking about the kind of group of friends that you're spending time with? Yeah, well, I mean, I think co- college is, can be a total waste of time and money, um, if, if not approached carefully. And I think a lot of kids today go there for a lot of the wrong reasons, like what you're suggesting, and certainly if there are better other opportunities um, that feel better to you than college, I think now, today, those opportunities are, Way more practical. are, are, are as practical. Uh, as an academic uh, education. I can tell you that a big falsehood is that by going to college, you will get something else. <laughs> you will find success. And one thing that's becoming more and more true, especially as, as technology is opening up all new means of, of, of transmission of information, is that, is that if there were a defined path to success, especially in any sort of creative endeavor, everyone would just follow that defined path. 100%. There is no defined path, and college can be a great way to help you find one of those paths, but it is certainly not the only way, and it's certainly not a guarantee that you'll find that trajectory. Yep, let's move on. Anders asks, how do you keep aim on your goals and separate yourself from the demands of the external world? Andre, I'll take this one first. You know. I don't know what to tell you other than it's unbelievable for me how much the external world has not factored into my decision making. I've talked about, if you've been watching the show long enough, that first F on a 
on a test in fourth grade and literally making that transition to I'm gonna fight the market and I've been fighting the market my whole life. I think for me it was the level of self-esteem that my mom instilled in me plus some level of my own DNA. I think that's the friction at hand. Heck, a lot of the themes of our last question were on this, right? Like what does the market want you to do, whether that's your parents or society uh, versus what you want to do. For me it has a lot to do with intestinal fortitude, a gorilla monsoon WWF reference. Uh, You know, I think, I think it's surrounding yourself with people that give you permission to take that risk. That to me is the most practical version of what I'm giving you other than you gotta be born with it. It's finding those like-minded people who are, who are taking those similar risks and, and give you through their own actions a little more oomph. Or if you're amazingly lucky to have the parental or mentor infrastructure above you that created that context. Case? I think focus is everything. I think that you can do 10 things poorly or one thing well. And saying no is something that I only learned late in my career. I still suck at it. It's I still suck at it right now. Saying no is so hard. But the truth is like we're surrounded by leeches, bloodsuckers, and vampires. And those are people <laughs> that want to take, 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 and they don't give back. And learning to say no to those people, learning to say no to all those distractions um, is the only way to get anywhere. Time is finite, life is short. Quickly you find things that are in life that are really incredible, like family, yep. things that you love, things that you're passionate about that might, that might distract you in a positive way from, from your, your career focus. So you have to learn to shed everything else. I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball. I, I get so much happiness out of doing things for people who would be you know, categorized as the way you just broke it down because I have a weird gear inside of me that has zero expectation for the return on someone's selfishness. I know that's a little bit of a mouthful, but it's just, a, it's probably why I'm so ridiculously happy. I'm, I have such little expectation for the return, it makes me happy to do the give. I sit in front of you knowing I will accomplish less in my career and, and amass less wealth and a lot of other things. Less time with my family, which is my number one, because I get so much happiness out of some of those actions. So I would tell you if you're in a rare group like myself, make sure you recognize in a world where people tell you that you're a sucker for doing it things of that nature, you still gotta make yourself happy. But I will tell you, I'm way happier than I was five years ago because I have grown in my no meter moving a ton. It hasn't gone to zero. And I think a lot of people close themselves out of serendipity by saying no too much, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we've probably both benefited through our years of, of the yes when it didn't make sense on paper. Um, but I'm with you, man. The, I mean, I made a video a long time ago, the, the yes virus. It's like the sickness of just saying yes all the time and it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. and I made movies, I made a movie that's just say yes. Like I believe in saying yes. I believe in embracing risk and embracing chance. And you all think the you need to say no more as you get older? I just think it's, it's a learning curve, a very steep learning curve to understand when no is appropriate and when yes is appropriate. And until you learn that, you default to yes. It's a really, really, or no. My dad defaults to no. I think you and I, like we have some similarities that makes, like I think there's a lot of people there that default to no. I think there's a lot of people that default. My dad's opening words are, hey dad, no. 
Like, I can't, I was gonna say, how, how was your day? You know, like, no is not a proper, like, I know a lot of people that default into no. I, I think we happen to be surrounded by a lot of people that default into yes. Yeah, lucky yes. But I, I think, you know, be inter- you know what? Actually, quick little side question of the day. Give me, a, are you a default yes or no person? I'm just curious for my own kind of like polling. India, move it along. CJ asks, how has having a family changed your long-term view of work? And what does retirement mean to you? CJ asked a good question. I'll let you go because I know you're a new father of a second. Yeah, so what does family have to do with work? I think family is the ultimate cheat. And what I mean by that is I had a kid when I was 16. I've always had a family since I was an adult. My entire adult life I've had a family. And it gives you a reason to do all this work. And that downtrodden feeling you can have, which is like, why am I doing this? Why am I working another night till three in the morning? When you have family, for me, it gives me my, my purpose. My reason for doing everything I do is my family. Part two, retirement. Retirement's my biggest fear. Retirement is what people do when they wait to die. Um, my grandmother was a tap dancer, and she had a tap dance school, and she taught tap every day of her life, and she taught tap on a Friday, and she died on a Monday when she was 92. That's my fantasy. I want to work until the last minute. I want to be working in my hospital bed as I'm dying. So that's how I feel about retirement. I'll start with retirement. I'm you know, in the complete same camp. You know, that is my nightmare. I want to die on Monday on the Monday that I'm working. I didn't need those two days in between. I, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think, you know, look, I will say this. There's one weird retirement fantasy I have, which is to be an old man sitting at the racetrack having some nickname like One-Eyed Gary and like betting on the ponies. I do like the notion of the ponies as an old man. So there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, the family, work, work-life balance, whole thing, I think is completely counterpunching. Meaning, I hate giving an answer to this because I think it really is predicated on your partner and then the evolution of your kids. My partner part I really kind of took care of. I mean, I was looking for Lizzie. When I found her, I locked her up, married her immediately. We were married within the year of meeting. I told her on our first date that we were getting married. I knew that she was independent enough and could, I intuitively felt that she could handle the insanity that is me. It's crazy. I feel like we're still dating because you know I travel so much and like I'm busy, but like, it's just over communication. When I see a little screen, I'll cancel a trip. I won't say yes. I'll, you know, I try to hack. The kids are a whole new variable. You know, now that Misha's five and a half, I've got to get ready for. They may not be like Lizzie. You know, my, my little Xander might want me at every single thing at every moment. So I'm starting to get mentally prepared to counterpunch their reality. Kids are always going to want their parents around, um, but. But what's the hack, right? Like, do I, like, it's funny, I've been traveling and where I speak now, I, I spoke in Anaheim and I noticed that Disneyland was right next door, so I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll do these speaking engagements because I'll take the kids, let them see what dad does, and then a full day of di- So it's interesting how my brain is starting to adjust to what's their reality gonna be like. So I, my answer to your question is counterpunching. What I mean by that is gross over-communicating. Having those conversations with your spouse or with your partner, having those conversations maybe even at an early age with your children. Shay asks, think back to a time when you pissed someone off. How badly did you piss them off and what did you do to make up for it? This is a really this interesting question, Shay. so hard not to piss Oh man, me off. too. I'm like suffocated by pissing someone off. Uh, 
Uh, I'll, I'll take this, pissing someone off. So look, I mean, the only time I'm truly ever affected, ever, uh, by pissing someone off is when I piss myself off. Um, so it's a little bit of a, a wrinkle, meaning I am so aggressive to try not to piss off anyone that the second I taste in the water that I did, I start hedging like a hog. You know, like I start like really, did you get that Sonic Hedgehog? Good, good. all right, you got it, Stefan? I'm in full apology mode immediately. The only time I even am comfortable pissing people off is on stage when I'm challenging the audience to the pre quo quo. Uh, So on a one-to-one basis, I'm crippled by hurting someone's feelings and the second that I sense it, I start backtracking. So the way I answer, the the way I fix it is by immediately taking the the gas off the pedal because I don't like that feeling. I think there's other ways to manipulate my point. That's the truth. I truly think that I can drive home my point through honey, not vinegar. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's not, there's no worse feeling than upsetting someone else. Um, and that said, because I have a very specific image in my mind when I think of pissing someone off. But I can tell you that living life where you pander to other people to make sure you never have enemies or never have someone dislike you is a very dangerous game to play. And I've always said with my work that I'd rather, if 100 people see a movie I make, I'd rather have 50 people love it and 50 people hate it than have 100 people go, eh. So it's a fine line and that idea of pissing someone off can mean so many different things. The last time somebody walked away from me angry, I honestly can't remember. But the last time I I read the YouTube comments on any one of my videos and they were 100% positive, well, there was never that last time because I don't think it's ever happened. Yeah, I mean, when, <laughs> that just made me think of LinkedIn. Boy, the, the conservative business world hate where I'm coming from. You know, it's funny. I'm sure a lot of people are watching right now and saying, what? My, my living is being in the minority on my points of view on the current state of marketing and, and all that stuff. But I'm with you. Like on a one-to-one basis, never. As little as possible. To the masses, no problem. And I think that's an interesting insight. Yeah, I think so. It, because as a human being, the ambition is never to piss someone else off or leave someone else upset. But as far as a belief system, For the sure. belief system has to be uniquely yours, even if that's a divisive. I will also say, I'm in the, in, the, in the sport sense, like in competition, I'm very interested in pissing people off. I'm, I'm you know, it, it, it matters to me a lot. Like nothing excites me more than if I know somebody's upset because I did something positive for my team versus theirs. I, I'm, it's extremely interesting to me to piss people off during the heat of battle because I want to get them emotional and off their game. Yeah. Yeah, all right, let's move on. Hans asks, if you could have a bionic body part, which body part would it be and what powers would it have? The truth is I do have a bionic body part. Um, my right leg from the knee to the hip and then the hip all the way in is made out of titanium. I didn't know that. Yeah, most people don't. Um, and the superpower that it gives me, uh, I think I can make, make this, but yeah. when I was in the hospital with my leg broken in like it was literally 27 places and they were hammering it back together made out of, out of metal, the doctor said to me, you know, you'll never run again. You'll be able to like catch up with a taxi cab, but you will never run again. And I was 26 years old, and that is a tough thing for a 26-year-old to hear, especially someone as physical as I am. So the superpower that it gave me was prior to that, prior to getting my, my bionic limb, um, I wasn't much of an athlete or a runner. 
But since getting my metal leg, I've run 22 marathons and four Ironman triathlons and countless other races. And I'm a much fitter, faster person since getting my bionic leg. So it has, I do have a bionic limb and I do have a superpower. I also have a bionic limb that, nope, no I don't. I really wanted one though. I was, I'm pissed. I was excited to hear what limb, what you were going to go with. You know what? I would go with ears. I, I'm not joking. I'm very intrigued by the notion of like, I love picking up senses, right? And for some reason, so one of the things that I think I do extremely well is I, that I really enjoy being able to do and I'd love to do more of, which is why I'm going with ears, is I am often at a dinner table or at a conference having a conversation fully in it and capable of listening to the two or three other side conversations. As a matter of fact, often when I talk to a small group of 40 or 50 people, I will use side whispering of what I just said to incorporate into my talk and then look at the person and they're always freaked out because I was so focused on going here but I heard them. And so I think people don't listen enough. That's a big thesis of mine. It's my overall social media thesis and so I'm gonna go with ears. I'm just picturing Gary. <laughs> like metal ears. ears. Turn and respond to people. Case, well, one of the things we do on this show, I didn't tell you, but uh, I'm sure you're busy doing your thing, is we get to ask a question of the day of the Vayner Nation. I know you're not prepped, and so that makes it even more fun for me, but I'm just trying to talk a little longer to give you a couple seconds. You get it. to ask them I any question it. you like. We're going to end this show with you asking the Vayner Nation. Vayner Nation, please, our first ever guest. So get in, lurkers, is it a good time to come out? Please uh, ask your question of the day. I'd like a two-part question if it's already been asked, forgive me, but it's something I'm always curious about, but what is your greatest fear and why? Is that too generic? That's a good question. No, no, that's good. I've never asked that. Yeah, great. And so we're excited. Thank you, my friend. This was great. This was a lot of fun. I hope I get invited back. We'll see. I don't know what the rule is on two. uh, That's a good point. (laughs) Two from 144, right? Yeah, I could. I like the doubling up. What about 720? I don't think we're going to go that long. I'm leaving that for them to say, please do it that long. That's me like fishing for compliments. You keep asking questions. We'll keep answering them. I have I'm such a perv. Question, <laughs> I went to such a dark place. Go ahead, Casey. If you have a bionic body part, the truth is I do have a bionic body part.